is where the incident takes place. Want to hear that again, just in case you missed it the first time? Listen carefully. Is where the incident takes place. Hello, everybody. This is the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast, and I am your host, Todd Conklin. How are you today? This is episode 314. I don't have the vaguest idea why I know that. I never know what interview I'm on. I really, I don't, I I never know that. I always have to look it up and think, oh, which this one? So I look at last week and then added one, you know, that's, but this, this time I know. I think it's because I'm really excited about this podcast. And you should be too, because anything that starts with that introduction, well, that's interesting. And let's just quiz. Did you know what it was? Do you recognize that sound? Um, you may not. That's okay. I'm not going to judge you because I'm not here to judge. I'm not going to uh, sound shame you. <laughs> but I can tell you, uh, if you've pulled Jenga as many times as I have or as many times as Bob Edwards has or any of those good people who use Jenga, Shane Bush, you know that sound. That is the sound of pulling the triggering event in order to illustrate the complexity that existed within the entire event context. You know what I mean. But that's what we're going to do today. We're going to experiment with that. Well, actually, we're not going to experiment with that. <clears throat> I had to put a little piece of gum in right there. Sorry. We're not going to experiment with that. Uh, we're going to listen to a very, very, very clever gentleman who um, who has been on this ride that we're all on to moving his organization. Maybe I should say organizations. He's got uh, several facilities into kind of a more contemporary way of thinking. And it's a really interesting story because he's from, he's from a company that's actually quite good, like world-classy good at industrial safety. There's no question about it. They're really good. And they're in a super high-risk um super injury prone industry where lots of people get hurt and killed, but they're pretty good. I mean, they've been on this ride a while and they're kind of the classic organization in that they started with a pretty solid compliance based program, very individual, lots of behavioral observations. Uh, they went in and, and rolled through like a DuPont stop program. So they really worked the whole fix the worker thing as aggressively as they could, and they got better. They, they, they got really better. I mean, just better. What's interesting is that they've had several years, like, like several, like eight, several years of just kind of plateaued performance with the occasional sudden giant event. Does that sound familiar, anyone out there in the world? Because I actually think that's a story lots of organizations are telling, is that we, we did a lot of work on the fixing the worker side of the house, and we've plateaued out, and we're still not preventing the big, scary things that we want to prevent, right? And so they started looking for a new way to look, and they, and they, they found the whole kind of modern safety approach. Eric Hallnagel and Sidney Decker and Jeff Lith and, and myself and, they they started find they started researching and finding it and they have been super fun on their journey. But long story short, and I am getting kind of long in this story. Um, this 
this gentleman, this kind gentleman, I, his name's it's Brett Torrent. I mean, it's not a secret, but I was going to play it up a little bigger at the end. I still will. Don't worry. He gave a presentation really among his peer group, kind of. I, I it's kind of an industry. I, it wasn't for his company. It was for other companies that were interested in wondering what they're doing, whatever you would describe that as. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be invited to sit in, and I wanted to sit in. And uh, I, I just clicked uh, record really quick because once he started, I, I figured, whoa, hey, this, whoa, this is pretty interesting. And it is. I mean, you're really going to like it. So I asked him if we could put it on the podcast, and he was quite kind in his kindness to say yes. But he's from Australia, so I sort of expect kindness just kind of as a that's the going into place. And he totally met my expectation. He was pleased to share this. And so I thought, well, this is a pretty good opportunity to, to listen to his story because it's the story that makes a big difference. And I love the fact that it's an operations person, you know, from the field. You don't get more fieldy than field. And he's got a, a pretty interesting story to tell about how work is happening and how they're really seeing a new level of engagement and a new level of excitement and interest and therefore kind of a new approach to the maturation journey they're on for safety. So that was, that's what's coming up. I pretty much just introduced what I was going to introduce at the end. So now I don't know what I'm going to talk about at the end. I guess at the end, I'll just say, here's Brett and then we'll be done. Maybe something like that. But um, yeah, I think you're going to like it a lot. I'm actually super excited about this. I like it because it's clear in the day and age of Zoom and Teams that he's actually doing this meeting on video. But I actually don't think you'll need the video part because I'm pretty sure you can imagine what a Jenga stack looks like. And I'm really certain you can imagine what it looks like when he pulls Jenga's out. And he's really descriptive. So that won't be a problem at all. I think you will like this a lot. A lot, I say. A lot. How is life other than that? Because... It's a bit crazy here in uh, Los Estados Unidos in the United States. It's um, it's just there's just a kind of a, a, a an air of uncertainty that's bordering on kind of goofydom, if you know what I mean. And it's just hard to figure out what's happening. That aside, where the real uncertainty is is really at the the work level. That this pandemic has had kind of wide-reaching impacts. And I'm encouraged uh, to a great extent by the potential vaccines that are showing up, and there's a lot of them now, so that's good. And that gives me a ray of hope that perhaps we can get back to some semblance of seeing one another and hanging out, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. But my guess is, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that a lot of changes happened that probably – we'll keep it. I don't think we'll go back on. And that's something to think about. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel, if it's good, bad. Um, I, I think we're just getting used to kind of the new world. We knew this would happen. We've been talking about it for nine months. But it's interesting what the new world looks like because we're locked down again. As, as uh, I'm recording this, we're back on pretty much stay-home quarantine and businesses are closed, so it's it's still quite serious. In fact, we're seeing numbers like we've never seen before, and so that's frightening. But the kind of engagement that we have around 
recognizing this hazard is really difficult. And it's a pretty good study in risk. It's a great study in risk homeostasis, risk normalization. I love how everyone's calling it pandemic fatigue, COVID fatigue, which is, you know, the same word as risk fatigue or risk homeostasis or lots of experience or complacency. We got lots of words for this. Just just call us. We'll tell you. And people are starting to call. So that's that's good as well. Other than that, that is pretty much the intro for what we're going to talk about. I want to get to Brett's thing pretty quickly because it's really good. So let me shut up. I, I think I was a bit yammery, but I, I miss you guys. I, I I don't get to hang out with people that much. I spend an awful lot of time looking at the green dot next to the camera on my computer, but not an awful lot of time hanging out with you guys joking and listening to funny stories. So I'm trying to make up for that in this conversation. Enjoy this. Listen carefully. There are millions, and I mean that, 100,000, 100,000. There are millions of really great tidbits in this discussion, and this is a pretty good teaching tool. So if, you, if you've if you got some um, a group of people that might be interested in thinking about really understanding failure a little differently in a complex system, this, this actually could be a really interesting one to play. So set back and relax. This is Brett Torrent, and he is quite amazing, and he is from an organization called Blue Scope, and I think you'll find him incredibly interesting. Here's Brett. If I could say that there's one thing that I, I, I want people to be mindful of when we go down this path, it, it's it's really about becoming a better learning organisation. Uh, and I'll, I'll come back to that at the end um, when I talk about the the, the general thing. And, 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 you know, as Bill alluded to, there's more than just safety in this space that um, that you can apply some of the principles and get get benefits from when you start to uh, understand how to approach some of these things. And, yeah, certainly in this space for me, it, it felt like we did a lot of the, the stuff that um, uh, that was do that, you know, is being talked about by Todd and, and the other thought leaders in this space. But when you really step back, it, 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 it is a little bit different and, and it does require some adjustments. I think it requires some courage. Right, because the approaches, um, uh, you know, are, are not normal for um, how I was brought up, at least, and I think how most people in the um, in safety one were brought up to approach this, and and it's going to take time as well. So I'm going to share um, the the story one from, um, you know, again it was almost 12 months ago where the incident I'm just about to talk about came from, but we're still got a long way to go um, in the space and taking people um, through that that journey as well. So, um, so yeah, kind of keep some of that in mind as well. So the um, uh, what I wanted to talk about was, so the 4th of November last year, um, one of those days you don't forget the date because I got one of those phone calls, um, right, where we had an operator and the report was that he had his hand caught between moving rollers and his hand had been dragged in, uh, between the the rollers. Now, thankfully, um, you know I can report that there wasn't a crush or an amputation, but um, it was, one of them was a rubber roller because it's designed to grab steel and and pull it through. And so it actually grabbed um, you know this part of his um, uh, tissue and and skin and pulled it kind of off and and into the machine. And so he had some 
quite extensive uh, tissue and um, and skin injuries and and many operations to try to get that right and um, and fixed up. And uh, he's he's still on um, you know light duties as well, uh, almost a year on in that sense. But um, so I'll give you a bit of a background because it, it's important to understand for the process that I'm going to go through. So. Um, what what the operator was doing at the time is that on this roll where the metal feeds into the machine, there's some residue that can build up on that roll. And so occasionally they have to go in and, um, and clean that off. To do that, they had to open up an interlocked gate, uh, which shut down parts of the machine when they went in there. Um, now, the interlocked gate was to do some standard tasks that didn't take you anywhere near the machine. Um, but to do the job that they were doing, which was climbing up into the machine to clean this roll, was a, um, a, a job that was known to require a full energy isolation. Um, there wasn't a specific SOP for the task, but it was well known that that was a requirement. There was actually some signs on the gate that indicated uh, as much. Um, this day, um, they climbed up into the machine and he was using a little scourer to rub off the, um, the um, gooey bits, if you like, that had, um, that had formed on the roll. And while he was doing that, there was another operator who was a um, relatively inexperienced temporary operator who was at the machine and was meant to be rotating the roll um, so that he could get to different parts of it. And at one stage, the temporary operator hit the wrong button, which forced his hand into the roll while he was touching it. And that's how he got his hand um, uh, caught into the roll and, and dragged in. So, um, so what ensued initially uh so we and I, I will say so a month earlier we'd been through this training and so we went well this is the opportunity to apply the new principles and the learning team right and um so we started to get that in place but in that process still the vp of safety still went to the site the following day just to make sure that we were okay and and um all the people were okay and and those sorts of things and even though he knew the learning team was coming, still got some feedback from the operators. And I'll bring this up because I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it after we go through the incident. Um, and the information he got on that first day was that the task that the guys were doing was done six to eight times per shift. They didn't isolate it because it was a really quick task and they had to walk around the machine to put the isolator on and it happened so often and there's so much um, production pressure and, and, and all those kinds of things was, was why they didn't isolate. And um, he also got a comment that the build-up on the roll had been worse since we changed the, the peel coat supplier. So, um, so the peel coat is um, some sticky stuff that goes onto the surface of the steel that when it gets roll formed and sent to a customer that's going to put up a gutter or something like that, it protects the paintwork. And so the last thing that the installer does after he's put up the gutter is peel off the, the peel coat so you've got a nice painted surface up on your house. And so that peel coat was the source of the stickiness and, and the report, the initial report was that, um, you know, we'd, we'd changed suppliers about six or nine months earlier, I think, and that it had been worse since then. So that was the initial information that um, uh, that came from the investigation. So, so what I'll highlight um, initially is what we would have done in the past, because I can say this with almost complete authority and, and clarity. So... Um, First of all, we would have asked all those questions that started with the um, with the VP of safety, but then we would have had more questions, but we would have done it with a specific perspective and intent in mind um, in that sense. 
um, and so looking for the solutions that we we thought we wanted to see or hear or, or the bits of information that um, that were coming through and going down a path. Um, discipline, certainly. So the temporary operator, that would have been an easy um, out, right, because, um, you know, he's only a temp and, and we can get rid of him quick, smart, without too many issues. And likely for the person, um, you know, who was injured, we, we would have made sure they were looked after and maybe in a sensitive nature probably would have found a way to exit him um, uh, from the business as well. And we probably would have looked hard at the supervision, right? Like I actually got this question, um, yeah, how could they not know this was going on? Um, you know, and, and, and questions about, uh, you know, are they looking at the right things and, and are they auditing um, and, and what would have been some potential disciplinary aspects there. Uh, we would have prepared a great report, um, uh, you know, with, with all those things that we learnt, probably some of them correct, maybe some of them not correct based on the, you know, the investigations and the biases. Uh, and we would have decided as management what were the actions to be um, uh taken you know and you know based on that initial feedback we probably would have launched a, an investigation into the peel coat suppliers we would have looked at you know different aspects of the machine and still found some engineering fixes that we thought were appropriate for um uh, for the incident certainly we would have done a, a stop for safety across all the sites um you know and the reinforcement of isolation requirements bit of a spoiler alert for later on we had done that only several months earlier after an in, another incident um, at a different site. So, um, But anyway, the stop for safety would have happened. We would have put some fantastic signage up you know, on that gate and probably others that would have alerted people to, um, uh, to what was, a, uh, a, was required and, and probably done some increased auditing, um, you know, and, and I somewhat expect that um, hopefully that's somewhat familiar to the, the people who are familiar with it. Um, so that, that's the pathway that we would have gone down that's the traditional way. But, but what we did different was that we got people in a room who do the work and a um, couple of really great facilitators and, and we involved the two people who were involved in the incident, both the injured employee who was able to come in um, and the other operator. And with that clarity that they were the only ones who can speak to what was exactly going on around them and in their minds at the time of the incident to give us the, the best understanding of what was going on in that really super important context. Um, and we got other operators of different experience levels. We got really experienced and other relatively new operators to, um, uh, to be involved in it. Um, we had the learning discussion, um, no supervision were involved. It was only using um, the facilitators were non-local personnel, so we brought them in from another site so that there wasn't any too much bias or, or perception from the work group for the people who were doing it. Um, and, you know, we didn't ever actually talk about the incident itself. Everything was about, okay, what was the lead-up, what, what happened in advance of it and what were all those different factors that led us to the point of the incident. And as Todd will um, say over and over, and I've had the opportunity to listen to him, that the actual incident is the least interesting part of, uh, of what goes on. And, and so we just wanted to learn what went on. Um, so I've been 
flipping back and forth about what I'd talk about next, but I think the the best way to to, to go is to launch into um, the Jenga side of things. So most people are probably familiar with uh, with Jenga. I've got a relatively small um, uh, pile here. Hopefully you're able to see it relatively. I'm going to um, angle my camera down uh, a little bit so you can see. But I think um, uh, Jeff has this magic big block pile that he was just showing me before most of you got on the call. Um, uh, but in the interest of sticking with the one camera, I think we'll we'll stick with this. So, so what I'm going to talk through is the learning that we got from the learning team on the influencing factors that, that led to the to the incident. And every time I go through and, and, and pick out one of those factors that led, I'm just going to remove a block from the, the Jenga pile. Now, it's different colours because it's just the type of Jenga um, that, that I have in the house, but hopefully I'm going to still be able to get across um, the the intent of um, why we're going to go through um, uh, this and, and deal with it from a, from a Jenga basis. So... So I'll, I'll just go into all the things that we learned from that that learning team, and then I'll, I'll talk about what what was different compared to what I just spoke about with how we would have approached it. So, so the first influencing factor was that there's they, they called them goobers, but but sticky bits on the uh, on the pinch roll, right? Um, so. I'll just take them out and leave them. I've got to try to um, uh, not let this thing fall down. Uh, so production pressures was a big thing. We have a 24-hour turnaround on orders and, and delivery in that sense. So production pressures are, are, are big in there. I'm actually going to, just with the production pressure one, uh, let's see, I'll do it there. I'm just going to stick that out halfway, right, and um, and I'll talk about why that is in uh, in a minute. Uh, we learnt that there was coils, the coils were actually stored outside and it was actually that with the coils outside and if you got any rain on the coils, there used to be a bit of grit that would um, uh, start to form on the edge of the coil and that would actually be one of the causes of, uh, of having the stuff start to, the sticky stuff build up on the roll. So, um, so having the store, coil stored outside and getting wet was another one. Um, we have oil and wax used in the process as well, so they have to lubricate parts of the um, the system. It's actually after this pinch roller, but what we learned again from the guys that occasionally they have to back the um, the material up, and so some of that oil gets onto the roll, and so um, uh, and so we have uh, some of that that came out. Um, the peel coat obviously was a factor in itself. The fact that we have to use peel coat in the uh, in the process, and and what that means. Uh, it was 1986 equipment, right? So it was um, you know more than 30 years old, and the last refit was in 2000. So it was relatively aging equipment. Um, uh, in that sense, was a was another thing that was uh, that was brought up. Let me see. I'm allowed to cheat in this one as well and use two hands for people who are Jenga purists as well because I want this not to fall down until the relevant bit. Uh, there was lack of regular maintenance on the machine. So we had no R&M um, uh, schedule. We had no PM process um, uh, for the machine as well. So I'll just stop there for a minute and I've taken plenty out from, um, uh, from the other side, I, I just realised, but... Um, I'm going to go through a, a few more, but what you start to see and what the intent of the Jenga is that you, you're seeing different holes forming in, in different 
um, perspectives as you've worked through all these different influencing factors on the uh, on that as well. Uh, the team recognised that the SOP was rather arduous and, and impractical uh, as well. So, so that was another factor that they um, uh, that they put in there. Uh, there was inadequate training in the proper lockout tagout process. So I said it was a um, uh, it was also onerous, um, but the training was a uh, was another factor that was in there as well. Let's see that. Um, the work around method was taught worker to worker. So we had tribal knowledge in there as well. So when we talked about, well, why would you do it that way? And, you know, with more, more and more people in the room, not just the people who were involved, it was quite clear that it was very normal that that's how people were taught to do the job. Don't worry about the isolating. You can jump up. It only takes a few minutes to, uh, to get it done. So that was another factor in it as well. Um, so the temporary worker was another um, uh, person that was there, very low experience, very low training, um, probably one of the biggest influences in the um, uh, in the system. So, so once again and again, I'm not sure how it looks on on your screens there, but the 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 idea of looking at it in this perspective is that when you look at an incident and all those different factors and and what we see when you turn it around you can see that different people will see the holes or the influencing factors from different perspectives depending on where they're, they're coming from now this one up the top which um, was the production pressures right i'll highlight the vision or the view that management, you know, often see it from or certainly are perceived to see it from but likely do see it from is from on top. And, you know, for people, again, familiar with Jenga and I haven't put any of the pieces on top, from on top everything looks fine except for production pressures was known, right? Um, we knew that production pressures was a big factor and everything. So, so we can look down. Everything looks good. Oh, we've got production pressures, but we're able to manage that. But what we're not seeing and not knowledgeable, not, uh, knowledgeable about is all these other holes that are forming, you know, and, and people do have knowledge that we're not hearing about. And that's going to be one of my big uh, takeaways uh, for today. Uh, safe access signs was another one um, uh, that was a factor within there. So, so we've got all of these things that have influenced that. And then there was one key thing, which was the temporary operator accidentally pressed the wrong button. So when, you know, I pull the, the right one out in that respect is where the incident takes place. Okay, but what do we normally focus on as managers when when these sorts of things go wrong is that the temporary operator accidentally pressed the wrong button and the thing wasn't isolated. And that's where the investigation starts. And sometimes it doesn't go much beyond that. And, you know, I have talked to colleagues in Australia. Pardon me. I have talked to colleagues in Australia who, who have said, no, no, we, we do find those things. We do investigate and we do, like, um, you know, try to find all the pieces. And, and as I said before, I think we do it to an extent, but I don't know that we get the depth of learning that 
we got from this process and and, and that's what I wanted to talk about that um that was different. So I spoke before about what we got out of the what how we would have approached it and what we got out of uh, got out of the process or would have gotten out of the process. But in this case, we got comments and learning that we never expected to get. We got you know information that we'd never thought of before or really understood um, for for some of the tasks. Um, people, we we asked part of the team if you walked past it um and um and saw that happening would you have stopped it and they were honest enough to say no i wouldn't have that was normal that was the way that we got the um uh, the job done um when i talk about what happened in the session to some extent there was a lot of trepidation initially um from the team we, we talked about no discipline we had no supervisors and everything in the room but they were really hesitant to open up and and talk about different things um worried about biases and and everything like that but um, as time went on and that trust started to build and, and it's meant to happen over two sessions, this one took three because it took until the, the second session. But once the trust built, um, the, the way that the facilitators spoke, pardon me, and we've done more of these since and, and found exactly the same thing with people who are less experienced with it, it takes one or two sessions, but there's normally a point where the floodgates will just open when they, they feel that there's that trust then it was almost like the way that um, uh, Brendan described it to me, that it was almost like, you, you, okay, so you really want to know what's going on out there? I'll tell you what's going on out there. And, and we got that depth of information and, and um, you know, it, it just started to flow in a different way. We got the feedback from the team that they felt that um, they were heard a lot better, um, felt it was a lot more positive um, in that sense. And, um, and thus, and this is a really important bit that I'll touch on again later, um, they felt like being engaged in the solutions um, uh, as well. Um, in terms of, um, like, people yeah, getting on the bandwagon of wanting to complain about everything that's wrong in the world, there were elements of that, but you've got to bring that back to constructive learning. And, um, and you know, we continue to learn in that space about how to manage the situations um, uh, is important. Um, and, and that trust is really important to try to draw those um, uh, draw those things out. That's it. That's the pod. Thank you, Brett. You are amazing. I hope you enjoy this. You probably won't because no one likes to listen to themselves. But we all collectively, and I speak for everyone right now, we love the chance to listen to you. Thanks for doing that. That means a lot. That's the pod. I'll see you guys soon, really soon, actually. We'll have some fun. Look out for each other, that's for sure. Learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to one another. That makes a difference. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe.